0: Welcome to episode 178 with my guest, Anna Akana. This uh, episode is sponsored by PillPack, the online pharmacy that delivers convenient pre-sorted meds right to your front door. Uh, no more hassles of waiting in line at, uh, at pharmacies. Uh, and you can support our podcast by just checking out their website, which is pillpack.com slash happy hour. And uh, there's no more monthly fee, so it doesn't cost you any more than it does to go to a, a retail pharmacy. I'm Paul Gilmartin, this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Uh, two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a doctor, it's not a therapist's uh, office, it's its more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Um, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. I'll go there, check it out, fill out a survey, see how other people filled out surveys, uh, join the forum, um, support the show. Uh, I know there's other things, and I always forget what they are, and then I always comment on what I forget they are. Anyway, let's jump into it. I'm a little under the weather tonight, um, so um, the show will be the exact same length it always is. I told myself I'm going to limit the number of uh, surveys that I that I read on the show, and uh, I've been having trouble whittling them down. Um, This is from the struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself untoward and about her depression she writes dense heavy tar filling my abdominal cavity something I want to take out with a giant apple corer about her anxiety nausea panic dread like I would do anything just to stay at home forever even if previously I was looking forward to something. And about her uh, skin and ear picking. I've given myself so many little wounds and infections and they add up. I just want things to be smooth and perfect. Snapshot from her life. I've had so many uh, bottoms from depression. They all blend into one. I know that at my lowest, I feel like I should be physically low. And at least a couple of times I've laid down on the ground, uh, on the floor, grinding my wet, flemmy, sobbing face into the wood because I feel like I deserve to be even lower than the ground. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, This is filled out by Peter, and he writes about his depression, a deep ache that soaks through my thoughts, darkens my perceptions, and makes hope impossible. Snapshot from his life, after spending two hours fighting my own apathy, I finally made it out of bed and to the shower where I proceeded to break down and cry for 15 minutes. I couldn't pick up the phone to call in sick, and when work phoned, I couldn't answer it. I felt exhausted and slept the rest of the day. I know that feeling. Um, This is filled out by a woman who calls herself the Mean Reds. Um, She struggles with depression, and she writes, I'm struggling with going back on medication, uh, if only to not hear my own thoughts bouncing around in my head, asking which is better, to possess the ability to mindlessly get through a day the way the rest of the world does and not feel a damn thing, or to be haunted by a restless creative energy trapped in a mind descending into madness, feeling sadness, but also happiness. Very, very eloquent. Um, and then this uh, this one is from Sam um, about her depression she writes like being trapped in a cage watching the world move but not able to enjoy it about her anxiety I can't breathe I can't see and I know it's going to be my oh I can't breathe I can't sleep and I know it's going to be all my fault and about her anger issues the rage replaces the sadness it feels more productive to hit than to be hit Snapshot from her life, my fiancé would uh, wouldn't stop asking, why won't you leave the house? Why do you make me run errands alone? Do you hate me? Why don't you go outside? And all I could do was cry and cry because leaving my hole scares me. The outside place is too much and I know they're all laughing at me. And then uh, this was filled out by a woman who calls herself a law nerd. Uh, She has OCD. She writes, I wish everyone would shut up and leave me alone so I can ruminate in peace. Snapshot from her life. I bought my son a fish tank. I became so obsessed with how devastated he would be if the fish died that I spent countless hours learning about freshwater fish care and worrying that they would get sick and die. They died anyway, and my son was fine.
1: Oh, God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. (laughs) cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that.
0: The burden of perfectionism.
1: And that's when I got into therapy.
0: Let's talk about that. So I was like,
1: fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything.
0: You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh,
1: Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good.
0: Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Anna Akana, who is very... Very funny uh, comedian, director, writer. Uh, most people know her from her YouTube uh, channel. And uh, you were suggested to me by a listener whose daughter is a huge fan of yours. And she said, this this woman reaches a lot of people and really connects with younger um, younger people. And you should definitely get her as a guest. So I watched... Just one of your videos on mm-hmm. YouTube, and I was like, "Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> thank you,
0: perfect, perfect guest." Um, the way I'm kind of at a loss for words to describe what struck me about your YouTube videos. They're they're comedic, but there's a pathos mm-hmm. underneath them that feels like a hug Aww. to the people that are probably struggling with that issues particularly i would imagine teenagers and people in their in their 20s yeah um but there's you're so disarming uh on it you're you're just so um uh it doesn't feel like a performance it feels like a conversation with um a close friend Mm -hmm. uh talk about the your your process um I mean this you know this isn't a show business show but I feel like this channel that you have
1: mm-hmm.
0: clearly comes from a place in your soul yeah and talk about what made you want to do this
1: well i've I've wanted to be an actress since I was five I love storytelling so much uh, but I was always too shy and too afraid till my sister committed suicide when I was seventeen. And then it took me about...
0: And your sister was 13.
1: My sister was 13. She was, uh, I believe she had a mental illness, but it was never diagnosed because my parents are very conservative. They don't believe in mental illness. They don't believe in therapy. She did test positive for dyslexia, but my dad always came from this point of view of, no, no, you can overcome that. Mentally, you can overcome that. And so she had a lot of problems in school with other people socially and academically. And eventually she ended up being expelled because she brought a BB gun to school. School, and uh, because some boy threatened her. And instead of dealing with the issue, the school expelled her. So it caused this big uproar in our household, and she eventually took her life. And that was kind of the point where I was like, oh, wow, I really don't want to go into the military. I don't want to be a veterinarian. So I decided to pursue stand-up because I watched uh, Comedy Central, and it made me laugh so much for the first time in like two years. And so I, I moved out to LA, and I started doing that. And stand-up was, it was great, but it was such an unhappy community and so full <laughs> of alcohol and just bitter resentment like it depends on the group you're hanging with, but most of the people I hung no, with, no, you, like you
0: got it nailed pretty, <laughs> pretty much. There's there's pockets of, of positivity, but the the general you know yeah. vibe of the whole thing is what about mine? Yeah. Where's mine? Yeah. Especially out here where oh. the stakes are higher. Oh,
1: terribly so, and and people are always bitter if like they feel like you got something you didn't deserve or anything like that. Your victory
0: is my f- failure. Yes,
1: absolutely. Comparison galore, and so I I got really tired of that community really fast, and the the more of, like, a happy person I became, the harder and harder it was to do stand-up. So I decided to do videos because, you know, you could go to an open mic and perform for five people. Or you can put it up on YouTube and get, like, hundreds and hundreds of people to watch your stuff at their own time, well, in their you're, own pace.
0: You're, you're being very... Um uh, humble, because you you're you have about a million subscribers on your YouTube channel so it's getting it's there, it's more, getting than, there. Yeah. it's more than hundreds and hundreds yeah. yeah you start
1: somewhere though you know yeah I guess. yeah and so I, I started doing that and I really liked it because I could I could really plan out what I wanted to say and 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 reach a much bigger audience and so I started off with doing like little things like talking about superpowers and I, how I felt gypped because I always thought I was going to have superpowers when I turned 16 or something magical was going to happen and shit and Oh, I'm sorry. Can I swear? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Fuck, 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 Okay, good. Okay, okay. But yeah, so I started doing that, and it's been about two or three years of just making those videos, and the more I do it, the more I have to kind of dig deeper to come up with new topics, because I don't want to bore myself, and I don't want to bore anyone watching me. And so... Uh, Does it
0: freak you out sometimes that you're going to hit... That the well is going to run dry? Oh,
1: yeah. All the time. All the time, I'm like, I have no idea what the hell I'm going to say. I I feel like I've talked about everything there is to talk about. But then when I do that, I'm just like, oh, then you can talk about Like your fear of running out of ideas, which I did two weeks
0: ago. That's what I say to people all the time. (laughs) I was like, the the human brain will never come up, will never run out of ways to tell you that you're doomed. So if you can use that, you will never run out of ideas.
1: Absolutely. And I've had really, really good reception so far. I think the most disliked video I have was actually something I came out with last week, was uh, Five Things I Wish I Knew in High School, where I talked about sex and I talked about drugs. I was like, look, I'm pro-drugs. If you're going to do drugs, just do them, be safe, whatever. And everyone... Freaked the hell out because um, my audience is mainly 13 to 17. And so I talked about how pot isn't bad. I talked about how I did like ecstasy at my house when my mom was there and just a bunch of did people. Did
0: your mom know you were doing ecstasy?
1: I don't think so. But I mean I told her like I loved her so much that she like <laughs> she knew something was going on, you know? But uh, I did a lot of experimental stuff when I was at that age because of the death thing. And so sometimes I forget, like, oh wait, maybe you should wait till college to do all of that. But to me it's like if you're gonna have sex and do drugs, you're going to do it regardless. So you might as well tell them, be smart about it and be responsible if you're going to go off and do that. Because with my parents, whenever they used that kind of reverse psychology on me when I was a teenager, it worked like a charm. They'd be like, oh, okay, you're 17, you don't have a curfew. And I'd be home every night at 8. Because the thrill wasn't there, you know. So I figure, you know, give that kind of message and just, you know. I mean, no, you're 16, you pretty much know everything there is to know. And with the internet and everything, you can find anything. So to me, it wasn't a big deal. But, yeah. yeah.
0: So where would be a good place to start with... uh, I want to talk about your childhood and your parents Mm -hmm. and... um, you know, are, are are your are your parents? Uh, were they born here?
1: Uh, my dad was born in Japan. My mom was born in the Philippines. Okay. Yeah.
0: And the the guests that I've had that are um, of Asian descent, uh, uniformly across the board, say, mental illness is not to be talked about mm. if it's even admitted to be a thing and yeah. not a personal weakness. So this sounds like it's your Your story <laughs> yeah. is all too sadly all too common. Um, yeah. do you think that's going to change in the future?
1: I think so. I think it's it's it, the stigma is going away from it. Yeah. My parents, after my sister died, they went to group therapy uh for I believe a year. And uh, my mom hasn't gone to any therapists, or my dad hasn't gone to any therapist since then. But I've highly recommended it, and we've like kind of talked openly a little bit more about it, and and they're getting there. I don't know if they'll ever they'll ever completely change because they're at that age, you know, when you're yeah. set and you're weird. But I believe it's it's going to become a much less stigmatized illness.
0: I think so, yeah. and I, and I think social media is getting the ball rolling for a lot oh, of people. Yeah. It's it's kind of training wheels for talking about it. You see somebody talk about it on Facebook or Instagram mm. or, you know, whatever, and you're like, oh, okay, that person's not ashamed to, to, to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about what uh, what your childhood um, was like. You, you, you strike me as somebody who's very driven and very focused. Was that um, inherited from your your
1: Military dance? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Military dad, uh, all about college, all about learn new things, teach you how to fish versus giving you a fish, all that jazz. So I did grow up with with the sense of like, oh, no, you work hard. You work hard. And my mom was a homemaker. She had the opportunity to go to college, but she turned it down because she wanted to raise us. And she regretted it so much that when we were kids, she would get drunk and she'd be like, don't be like me. Have a career. Don't have kids so soon. And like she's like terrible messages at the time. But it really, really stuck with me seeing how miserable she was just being with kids all day
0: what, what did that make you feel like as a kid
1: uh, as a kid i thought it was whatever i was like okay mom whatever um it, i it didn't really affect me that much because i didn't really understand what she was saying at the time
0: <laughs> it ju- it i just wonder how could you not be slightly offended or sad or um feel like a burden when your when your parent tells you mm. um it sucks raising you
1: well we were pretty shitty to her sometimes i mean we'd, we'd break things we wouldn't listen to her i mean we the three of us were just so rowdy and then we'd only listen to my dad when he came home so i i, I don't blame her like she was just miserable sometimes raising yeah. us yeah
0: oh who is the other sibling
1: uh, my brother william he's younger as well okay. he's the middle so you're, child
0: you're the oldest yes um did being the oldest bring any particular kind of pressure or,
1: uh? Yeah. I'd say so. Like anything I did wrong was always considered more wrong than if my sibling had done it or my punishment would be more severe because I was the firstborn. Mm -hmm. And it was always on me because the tradition in the family was the firstborn goes into the military. And so even though I was a girl, it was always expected, oh no, you're going to go into the military and serve your country. So for the first, I'd say, 20 years of my life, that was the goal and that's what I worked towards. And so it it did suck to be the oldest and have to set the example because then I couldn't do certain things without having larger repercussions from my parents
0: did you have any desire to go into the military i did yeah yeah
1: Yeah, i was big on tradition
0: um what was the as you would picture yourself in the military what was it that you know got the juices flowing about your future
1: I think uh, I wanted to be a pilot for just like my dad for the longest time. I thought that was amazing. Uh, but when my eyesight went, that was that was pretty much the end of that. Uh, but I think being in a leadership position and like s- the thought of like, yes, I'm serving my country and I'm doing things right. Because I used to listen to the Star Spangled Banner like on July 4th and like cry, just openly cry during wow. that song. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I felt so patriotic.
0: Um so it wasn't that you wanted to uh, engage in combat. You just felt like this is a great way to serve my country. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so talk about, you know, your sister's suicide mm-hmm. aside. What did you feel? Describe your inner life as a as a kid and the parts of yourself that maybe you weren't comfortable with, any negative self-talk that you had. Um, any seminal moments from childhood that Uh, you can think of?
1: Well, I was pretty, my childhood was kind of like constantly being afraid. Like even now when I hear the doorbell ring, I know it's a delivery man, but some part of me is still like, what did I do? What did I do? And I get really paranoid and afraid. Um, so like living, as the oldest under a military child and, and being like a little extra paranoid about things like I remember when my, the biggest regrets of my life like a black spot in my soul is I had this bird this cockatail bird and when he ran out of food I was so afraid to tell my parents like that I didn't have any more money or any more food for him so I just slowly let him starve to death trying to wait for my allowance day and when he finally died I was crying and my parents were like oh my god like why did he die where's his food I was like he didn't have any more food and I didn't want to ask you because I was, I was so sure I was going to get beaten um, and so I think most of that feeling echoed in my sister enough for her to try to kill herself or to succeed in killing herself was always this feeling of like living in terror. And even though my parents weren't terrible, like they had that threat, you know, the unknown threat of like, oh, you don't know what we're going to do to you if you mess up. And so our imaginations would always run away with that. And we'd always be incredibly terrified of what was going to happen.
0: Was there a physical beating?
1: Um, we got spanked. I got spanked with the belt and you know, it didn't feel like to the point of abuse or anything. I mean, there's only one when my dad smacked my sister so hard, she fell down the stairs where I was like, whoa. Um, but for the most part, it felt like standard discipline. Although I know the the viewpoint on all of that is changing today of like, mm-hmm. no, don't hit your kid. Don't hit your kid. Um, at the time, it didn't feel horrible.
0: Uh, was there ver- verbal abuse?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, they yell at my, yeah. My mom's Filipino. Every word is a yelling at you.
0: Give me, give me, give me some, some of the greatest hits.
1: Some of the greatest... Oh, my God. Well, they never swore at us. That was good. But it would be like, <laughs> like, get over here. We're going to hit you so hard. You're going to go live across the street and like stuff like that. And you know the verbal thread of the belt. And my dad would do this thing when he took off his belt, how you fold it and then you can snap it. Mm-hmm. And so he'd walk around the house snapping it and we'd just like, scream and run outside. Yeah. It was always like nonverbal with dad, but verbal with mom.
0: Were there would they denigrate who you were as a person, your personality? Mm.
1: You know, like,
0: you're so, you know whatever
1: my dad would my dad would would call me stupid a lot um to the point where like he wouldn't tutor me anymore because i couldn't understand it and he would say that i was being stupid uh so we we didn't get along a lot when i was a kid because he would stop doing certain things with me and then wouldn't tell me what i did wrong like he we used to play chess every night until one night he stopped and he was like you know what you did and i was like i really don't know what i did like why won't you play with me anymore and uh like he used to teach me how to shoot guns when I was like eight, um and then stopped taking me all of a sudden, and was like, "You know what you did wrong, you know why this is taken away and I never did, and I ask him now, and he won't tell me, and I think it's because he doesn't remember but yeah so that's,
0: that <laughs> uh, maybe I have a different qualification than you, but to me that's th- those things are flat out abusive oh. and, and, and and I know that's not necessarily important to um put a label mm-hmm. on it, but I know a lot of the listeners struggle with having compassion mm-hmm. for a part of themselves that, that might be wounded, and mm-hmm. there's this argument in their head of you're being a baby, you're exaggerating, um, you are just looking for sympathy, mm-hmm. and um, the things that you described to me are fucking abusive. I just feel like I have to say that because I th- I think it's so such a ne- necessary first step for many people um to begin to heal for them to give weight I think they need to give weight to what it was that happened to them and I'm and and, and I'm not here to say I'm going to send you know Anna away knowing that she was abused in my opinion that's mm-hmm. that's not the point of it um I just felt compelled to interject that because um that I just did. Yeah. I did what do you what do you think as I it say that to you. It could
1: very well be, you know, I think one of the biggest things when you hear stuff from an outside of perspective is is to be like, "No, that's that's bad." And then, you know, obviously I have different subjective feelings about my father and I'm like, "Oh no, he's not abusive. He's not abusive. He's a great dad. He's a great dad." But there definitely are instances where he can and probably was very abusive towards all of us. And uh I think you know, just as a as my own person, it's harder to to deal with that. To be like, oh, my dad was abusive. You know what I mean? Because it feels so heavy.
0: And and that's not to say your dad was a bad dad. Yeah, you're. You know, a, a parent can be an awesome parent who had an abusive quality. Yeah. to them who had moments of ab- abusiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's another important thing for for people to understand is a, a person can be both really light and really dark, and it doesn't. R- really matter what how the scale is tipped in either direction mm-hmm. it's important for you to understand that there was an abusive component there mm-hmm. um because oftentimes i think that abusive component can become our inner voice mm-hmm. that haunts us and keeps us uh from ever fully embracing who we are and accepting ourselves as as we are and i think th- i think that's the important thing that i want to stress is to say if you have that parent's quasi voice in your head. Um, if you have a voice in your head that's super negative, <laughs> it may be the remnant oh, of that parent of, whose definitely. abuse you didn't think was. Yeah. What are what are the? Give me some of the greatest hits of uh, your current uh, negative self talk.
1: Oh gosh, I, I'm concerned that I'm going to be a narcissist just. By nature of what I do, Um, I'm afraid that I'm I'm a nobody or I'm going to be a nobody or that I'm never going to achieve my definition of success. I'm afraid that I'm always going to be obsessed with success and who I am in the eyes of others. Um, I'm afraid that I'm not a good person. Uh, you know, I've never murdered anyone, but you could still be a bad person and not murder. Talk
0: about that. What are some of the things that make you feel like you're a bad person?
1: I'm very selfish. You know, I, I do a lot of things that are calculated to my advantage. And um, I, I can be dishonest with my intentions, and I feel like sometimes I can put on a facade if it benefits me. And, you know, I'm, I'm an actress, so I use that to my advantage quite a bit when dealing with different people. And sometimes I feel like, oh, God, like it's, it's so dishonest to morph yourself into these different things when you're dealing with different people. But uh, then I also try to rationalize it by being like, no, these are all facets of your identity. And so, uh, I don't know. I'm afraid that I'm never really going to figure it all out.
0: I wanted to uh, make a point. There's a great article, and I know the regular listeners are probably tired of me uh, harping on this, but there's a great article called Code Narcissism. And they describe when you have a parent who is very much my way or the highway, and... Um, there there's no opposing viewpoints which your your parents strike me a little bit as kind of very rigid in their beliefs yes. and if you don't conform to my beliefs you are rejected yes and um one of the things that uh, the children of those parents wind up using to cope is we become manipulative we become um and i'm including myself uh we we learn how to read a scene and say who do i need to become for you know for me not to appear selfish yeah how do i bury my needs but get them met yeah and so you become good at acting you yeah. become good at being who you need to be to get your needs met without asking for them.
1: Yeah, that sounds very spot on. Yeah, so yeah.
0: I, I one of the reasons I, why I want to say that is I I want you to understand that if you do find yourself doing those things, to understand this is a coping mechanism that you probably did as a kid to survive, and it's not because you're a horrible person. You're a horrible yeah. person because you were 15 minutes late coming to record <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. Traffic was bad.
0: <laughs> I told her. I, I I emailed her and I back and I said, uh, "No, this is perfect because then you're going to feel uh, guilty and you'll have to answer every uncomfortable question that I want to ask you." And I will. And you said done and done. Um, what are things that are hard for you to talk about? That uh, let's. Uh. What is the part of yourself that you um, want to hide? Uh, away from other people, where you th- where you feel like if people knew that about me um, and I suppose maybe that's too difficult for you to answer because why would you answer that on a podcast for some jackass that you've never met but um what are what are the parts of yourself that are that cause you the most distress you know we've talked about mm-hmm. the being duplicitous and being um, obsessed with getting ahead and being known.
1: I, I, I have a tendency to lie. Mm-hmm. I lie quite a bit, even when there's no reason to. Uh, it's something that I was I was in therapy for for quite a while to try to get over that. But even then, I would lie to my therapist about certain things because I didn't want her to judge me. Um, and Thank I, you
0: for sharing that. That is yeah. a really brave thing to... To share. What did, what did, how, why did you lie to your therapist?
1: I just, I don't know. She, I just feel like she's going to judge me or like, I feel like she'll, she'll tell somebody or I don't, there's no real rationale to it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. You I you get
0: high when you get away with a lie?
1: I, I don't know. I'm, it's usually always filled with shame, like insta shame. Um, the
0: moment it comes out of your mouth moment, or later.
1: The moment, like the moment it happens, I'm like, fuck, I did it again.
0: Have you ever sa- stopped and said, I don't know why I said that. That's not true. No. Yeah.
1: I've thought it, but it's usually the moment passes and I'm just like, don't, don't say anything. Uh,
0: Do you ever confide in anybody afterwards?
1: uh, Usually, no, no. No, I don't think so, no. Can
0: you give me an example of a lie that really made your face flush with uh, shame?
1: Yeah, I was, I was, uh, just got out of a long-term relationship and uh, like I always had this thing where like, I hear stories sometimes, and I think they're my stories, or I think they happened to me sometime in the past. And so I was talking to my boyfriend, I was reciting this story as if it happened to me, and he was like, that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> and that is so was, fantastic. I was like, so... Like, I get pretty deranged sometimes and i was like no that's my story and so we argued for the longest time and there was a certain point where i realized like no that did not happen to me but i
0: you believed it
1: yeah sometimes i believe it and then but there's a moment when i'm like wait no i don't think that fucking happened uh but i just i couldn't i couldn't admit to it because i hate admitting to fault and i hate blame and and i have too much pride so it's just this big deal where he was like you're a fucking liar and I'm like oh it caused so many problems in our relationships because i would i would just lie and say things and take stories that i'd heard from other people and recite them thinking they'd happened to me but then kind of knowing in the back of my head like no i don't think that really happened in my life
0: but it felt so good to say yeah keep t- saying what you were saying yeah. that you were
1: yeah. I like to embellish. I like to perform. I like to, you know, you don't feel like you're enough. So you have a tendency to exaggerate. Even in everyday speech, I'll be like, oh, my God, traffic. Oh, it was like four hours. You know, even if it was only 45 minutes, uh, there's this tendency to want to keep adding to the truths to feel justified.
0: Is there an element that you're uh, it also makes you feel safer that that the judgment is going to isn't going to come down on you, that judgment that, you know, I can't help but think back to. The shooting range mm-hmm. and the the chess game and the shame you must have felt mm-hmm. um, of, oh, my God, I, you know, I fucked up. Yeah. I mean, to fuck up in your family sounded like <laughs> it was not an okay thing. Yeah. And one of the boilerplate things that kids need when they're being raised and mirrored is to feel that it's okay to make mistakes. Oh, yeah. But it sounds like that was not the case no. in your in your house.
1: No, it was very, uh, it was very, I'm right, you're wrong, and there's no more discussion. And that's pretty much why the reason my, my, my last boyfriend and I broke up, because he was so much like my dad. Whenever we fought, it would shut down. There's just a wall that comes out. Like, I'm right. Don't fucking talk to me until you realize I'm right, and uh, it—it's so—it triggers something in me so much where it's like this fear of like abandonment and and this fear of like oh I fucked everything up how am I ever gonna put it back together, and and yeah it's pretty much my way or the highway and, and that kind of I realize that kind of mentality in a partner I I shouldn't do that because yeah. it's just feeding into all that past stuff that I've learned.
0: Let's talk about. Let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about the suicide of your sister.
1: Yay!
0: Um, t- talk about it. Where would be a good place to to start? What did it, talk about? What your sister was was like? What was her name?
1: Her name was Christina. She was really brave, really rambunctious. I remember every year she would do the talent show and she would choreograph a dance and teach all her friends. And always the day before the talent show, all of her friends would drop out and bail on her. (laughs) But she would go up and she would do the dance alone. Wow. Every time, every time. She had this knack for disappearing. Like we'd be walking through a store or whatever and everyone would just look around and be like, where the hell did Christina go? And uh, she loved to climb, so she would climb Everything and anything that she could, and she was really carefree and brave and incredibly generous um, yeah it 's such a shame because she would be probably so beautiful and smart and everything today, and i 'd feel competitive with her <laughs> undoubtedly
0: <laughs> as you describe her, I think to myself that sounds like the last person who would take their yeah, life.
1: It was such a shock, but she was so brave. That she could do that. You know what I mean? Because I know I'm a coward deep down. Like, if it came to trying to kill myself, I'd back out. I'm like, no, no, I can't do that shit. But she was always all the way, all the way with everything. Well,
0: you know, I got to disagree with you because I don't think... And people always say what you said, that, Mm -hmm. it, you know, I wish I had the courage to kill myself. But Mm -hmm. killing yourself comes from a place of fear that things are never going to get better. Mm -hmm. You know? So... You know, my thought is that her bravery was a way of fighting against fear that ate away mm-hmm. uh, at her. But I didn't know her. You you knew her. But uh, I felt like I had to I had to interject that because, um, yeah, I feel like it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of that. But I know when you're in that place when you want to die, you feel like. I wish I had the... I wish I was a go-getter and I could (laughs) just go buy a gun and and do this. Um, So talk more about about her.
1: She... See, it's it's, it's so weird to me because I've struggled a lot with oh, she didn't know what she was doing. She didn't know the permanence of her decision. And because she was only 13 and it, it happened right after she got into a fight with my parents about being able to sleep over at someone's house. Um, I was always like, no, she did it as a cry for attention. She didn't realize she was actually going to die. But my therapist was always like, well, what if she did? What if she did know? What if she had all the emotional you know, ranges and capabilities of an adult and had mental issues and was like, no, I'm ready to die. I'm going to die right now and so that was something we talked about like six months to a year ago and it, it's very difficult to accept that she could have fully really known the consequences of her actions and done it anyway. And I don't know sometimes I, I think about her and I don't uh, I don't remember who she was i just remember the good parts of her and i don't remember the bad parts where she was really moody or where she would like randomly break down and cry for seemingly no reason and and all these things that came back to me later in therapy where uh, we started to realize like oh wow she probably had an undiagnosed mental illness that no one no one knew about because my family refused to see it
0: was uh bullying a factor i read uh, yes. that 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 was a a factor, and yeah. I can't remember where I read that. But
1: she was uh, she was bullied quite a bit in school. To the by both girls and boys and uh, a boy threatened threatened her and that's when she brought the BB gun to school to protect herself and it was really frustrating especially now because like no one listened to her at the time everyone told her suck it up or you know talk to an official and she didn't feel safe with anybody and especially like lately with the string of suicides with social media bullying and and all that stuff in high school just all the gay kids going to kill themselves it's just like holy fuck like when are we going to realize this is a real thing because at least in the beginning, before all the social media, you could go home and get away from all that. And but with her, she'd go home and find Facebook messages or MySpace messages like calling her a slut and a whore. And so there is no escape now with the social media aspect of bullying because um, it's you know it's really easy to go online and and to feed yourself that even when even when you shouldn't because you feel like you deserve it.
0: Have you addressed uh, slut shaming in your YouTube thing?
1: Uh, I don't think I have yet. No, you
0: feel like that's a topic that you'll address at some point. because oh, yeah. It seems like a really um, important kind of subject, you know, and I, you would think that it would have gotten better than it did from my generation, mm. but it, it really doesn't seem to have.
1: No, it's gotten worse. Like. Yeah, Maybe
0: because there's more quote unquote evidence that you can shame people with now with social media, whereas it used to just be, I heard that you slept with this person or, you know, you were hanging all over this person at a party or or just that seems like a way to hurt you. So I'm going to.
1: Yeah. Now you have to worry about being photographed when you're doing anything.
0: I guess what puzzles me is women seem to be less. um, They seem to be less apologetic about having sexual desire mm-hmm. than they did when when i was growing up mm-hmm. talking about masturbation or watching pornography or whatever yet it seems like all bets are off then when it comes to what your peers think mm-hmm. about something I, I don't know i know i'm not making any sense no it should make sense talk talk to me about about the
1: Well, I think, I think even though girls have become more open about, you know, our sexual nature, I think the girl on girl hate has increased. Exponentially uh, The cattiness That I witnessed In it, high school Is it
0: competition? Is I that think
1: what? I think it's competition I think it It feels good To put another girl down I feel like Girls are Naturally competitive With each other uh, It's so stupid But like I remember in, in high school I held a boy's hand And they slut shamed me And they were like Oh you're a whore Because you knew This other girl Liked that boy And da 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 And it was just like What? Like what? Because it's hard enough when you get that from guys who degrade you and objectify you, but then to have also fellow girls all turn on you, it, it's, it doesn't make much sense to me. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I remember that feeling. Because I've bullied girls before. Like, you you get in a group of girls, and you get the sense of superiority, and you're like, oh, yeah, we're hot shit. Like, fuck that girl. She's and, all over my man. And, like, sick bonding. Yeah.
0: Like, here, hey, I want to belong to a club. This one will do. Yeah. I've been a part of that. Where people start talking shit about somebody, and I find myself joining in yeah. and and feeling disgusted with myself afterwards.
1: yeah, but it feels good in the moment you feel included and you feel like, oh yeah, it's us versus them and yeah
0: and rare is the person who's going to say, "Stop talking about that person. Yeah. They're a friend of mine that this if you're gonna say that, say that to their face, Don't yeah. be a coward. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that.
1: Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. I had one person stand up for me in high school, and it was it was great. It was awesome.
0: I think we've got an idea for one of your YouTube videos. <laughs> I would love to see that. Your YouTube videos are so great. The the, the one that I just watched before I came here was uh, Apocalypse. Oh, thank you. And the premise of it is that uh, every female in the world is suddenly nine months pregnant yeah. and um, it's only, it's short. Go check it out. It's yeah. only three minutes long, but um, your, your, your stuff is clearly done without a large budget. Cause mm. it's on YouTube and you're an independent person, but mm. um, God, you make the most of it. You uh, it's, you put so much work and thought into Mm. these things that you do. Is that an uncomfortable compliment to hear or does it feel good? No,
1: it feels good. But I mean, I I find a lot of talented people, so I don't want to take all the credit because, yeah,
0: the the cast is good in that it's, um, as I was watching it, I was just like, this is so, this is so awesome because you didn't, when I was growing up, you didn't see, um, uh, a group of five females, doing a sketch that was edgy and funny mm-hmm. and um I don't know. It was just I love when I see the world change. Yeah. When I see glimpses where I'm like, oh the world is changing. Yeah and it's for the better and, and people are finding their voices and they're and they're having an outlet for it. Um I just love that. Thank you. I just you. love that. I dislike you intensely, but I loved <laughs> I loved seeing that.
1: Well, thank you. It's, it's been a good feedback so far. The only thing that, that bugs me is that uh, the most critical aspect of the whole short was how much cussing there was. And to me, it was like, oh, come on. Like, if, like, have, if it was an like, all-male cast, like, no one would say anything. That's what I
0: loved about it yeah. was, was the fact that they were reacting how you would if yeah. you and a group of your friends looked down and suddenly all of you were nine months pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's a nice little double standard, but yeah, use it to your best ability. Sure. Shock value.
0: Uh, give me some some seminal moments from your life that you feel like were painful, embarrassing, transformative. Um, actually, let's 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 go back and let's talk about your your um, your sister. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was bullying. There was her feeling like there was nobody that she could go to. Um, what do you? What do you remember um thinking or feeling when you found out?
1: Well, I was uh I was the last person she talked to before she killed herself. Uh, she came into my room and she was crying um, about it and I kind of told her I was like suck it up you're being stupid I hate you shut up and go away and so she did um, and I was getting ready for like a Valentine's Day thing I had like a picnic down the street planned so I, I remember I was going to go to that and I was like oh maybe I should say something oh whatever fuck it she'll be fine so we left and then I think about an hour or so later a bunch of fire trucks and police cars raced down the street and we're the last street in any residential area so I knew like some shit was going down and so I was like let's go let's go let's pack shit up there's something crazy happening and then my brother called me and he was really dramatic about it he was like what I'm going to say is going to change your life forever he's like Christina tried to kill herself and so when I got home the paramedics had put an oxygen mask on her, but I later found out that was that was just for show. Like they, she was dead. She was dead. She'd been hanging there for like I think thirty minutes. Um, my dad tried to do CPR, but her jaw was clenched shut, and she had like vomit and stuff in her mouth and in her hair. Um, and I remember the paramedics like were making jokes and we're laughing like as they wheeled what? her out and what yeah and i i later learned like jokes,
0: a, jokes about her
1: no no not about her just like their own day and like making jokes oh. about whatever but i remember it struck me so hard and i like hated hated paramedics for so long and i've read you know threads about like oh no you have to be light because in that kind of job it's just sad and terrible and if you don't have a sense of humor you'll go crazy. So I totally understand that now. But at the time but in
0: front of the family? In
1: front of us as they were wheeling around. Yeah,
0: that's not okay. It was me.
1: terrible. And we had firemen and police all up in there. And then it was just it was such a horrible, horrible moment. And uh, the whole way to the hospital, we're just like all praying, like all praying, please be okay. And then the doctor like sat us down in a room and he like took off his little hat and we're just like, oh, fuck. And so he's like, we couldn't save her. And I think the most horrible part was like the way my mom screamed like when she heard that she just like fell on the floor like screaming, and it was ugh. it was just gross and 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 horrible. And they're like, "Do you want to see the body?" And so we had to go in, and like her stomach was all bloated, and she was all like purple and blue, and uh, yeah, she it was just incredibly, incredibly weird to see, oh, you're not there anymore. That's just, you're dead. Whatever you were inside is, is just gone. And I think I was in shock for probably like a year and a half with that because I kept expecting a camera crew to come out and be like, ah, you're on candid camera or something like that. Even at her funeral, I was just waiting and I would keep looking around and trying to find cameras. Um, but yeah, her, her...
0: What was your reaction in that room when your mom... Collapse. What were you doing? Were you just shut down?
1: Yeah, I, I cried. I cried quite a bit. Uh, my boyfriend of only one month at the time was in there, so that was some heavy shit for him to deal with. But yeah, it was just like just lots and lots and lots of crying, like constantly. Yeah.
0: And what did you think as you thought back to the last conversation that you had?
1: Oh, it's terrible. I wish I could go back so bad. That's uh, mostly everything I write, always centers around suicide and like some kind of time travel aspect. Because I replay that moment so much, especially in that first couple of years of like, if I had just stopped by the room, if I had just stopped by the room um, and said something. And she was blasting her music. She was blasting the same song over and over again, incredibly loud. It was clearly like some kind of cry for like, somebody please stop me. Or
0: What was the song? Do you remember? Uh,
1: it was some Korean song that mm-hmm. she liked at the time that she had on her CD. And it was my brother was the one who found her because he shared a... The, room like a jack and jill room next to her and he like went in there to tell her to be quiet and then she couldn't find her so he went to the closet and found her and it was just it was always so weird to me that you could hang yourself in the closet because her toy chest was right next to her she could have just like stepped on it or like grabbed the bar and there were several instances where i would go into my closet and like mock hang myself to like see how long i could do it to like try to reenact her last moments and to me it was always like wow how can you hang there till you pass out because there's such a driving need to get oxygen once you get to that critical point it was like how do you just die
0: how do you your desire to not be alive must be so intense to fight through that moment when your lungs are screaming
1: yeah especially when you have such easy ways to get up or get out of it like right next to you.
0: So talk about how it was discussed in your family, if at all cuz you said that you guys went to family therapy after that, w- was who who initiated that, who decided to do that? Uh
1: we had a like a social type worker assigned to us, I guess the the government you know, gives you someone to like help you through that kind of thing. Um, Was there
0: resistance at first on your parents' part?
1: I don't, I don't remember. Honestly, we weren't, we were never really brought in on decisions or discussions. Um, I just remember we went to one group therapy thing, and it was so sad. It was just all these people who had someone commit suicide in their life share their story. And I remember there's this one woman whose mother and fiancé both committed suicide. Oh God. And like within the span of two years or something. And there's a man whose mother had committed suicide when he was five, and he was like 60 or something at that point. And he was like, you never get over it. And so it was just really sad and and kind of intimidating and, and so my brother and I were given the option to keep going and we were like no we don't want to go back we don't want to see that ever again uh, but my parents kept going for a little bit as far as discussion there there was a, some discussion on my dad's part just about like him apologizing for contributing to that and like he gave us both $200 and like let us loose in the mall and like I brought a kitten home to cope and when we weren't a lot of cats and stuff like that. But no real discussion about her mental instability and no real discussion about the bullying she had at school or what led to that or what we could have done to that. Or, you know, there wasn't anything for my parents like of, look, if you ever feel to that point, talk to us, let us know we're here for you. You know,
0: it breaks my heart on a certain level. that Your parents would have gone into this group therapy and your dad still couldn't take out of it that. Oh, we need to begin to talk about our emotions in a way yeah. that helps release the the pain yeah. and helps us know that we're not alone in this. It just strikes me as your that your dad must have must be battling his own type of uh, demons because clearly he had to have heard in the group therapy. He must have seen that it it helps to talk about it. Yet you get back yeah. to the parental situation with you guys. And he can't find the words to express yeah. that. It, it, it makes me want to hug him and just <laughs> say, you know, oh, buddy, it's okay to, to talk about that, that he stuff. He still
1: is like that. And it's, an, it's very, very unfortunate for him, I think. Um, he has so much pride. So much pride. And so conservative. Like, even now, he'll say very, very mean things to my brother. Like, my brother bought a violin for the first time and played. And my dad was like, you're horrible. That sounds terrible. And my brother got so mad, and my dad didn't understand why. And so I said, Dad, the first time he ever plays violin, you're telling him he's horrible. It's the first time he's ever played violin. And he was like, well, I was just giving him feedback. And it's just like, oh, you're so so stuck in your ways. Like, you just don't see it. Um, And that was a problem a lot of both of us had growing up, is we could not express any emotion other than everything is happy and okay. And uh, my dad, uh, one of the things that he's given to me, which I really hate, is I'm incredibly, incredibly nice to strangers, and I can get very mean with the people that I love. And uh, It's It's such a thing. It's such a terrible thing. I'm the same way. I'm the same
0: way. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, It's, it's,
1: what the fuck is that about? I don't know, man. Probably because you think they're going to be there forever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think the other thing is I feel like, they're not going to tell on me. But okay. if I'm a dick to somebody that runs in other social circles, they're going to talk badly about me.
1: Yeah. Or their opinion means more because it's not already set with this person who loves you.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing, too, is on a certain level, I hate people that love me. Yeah. Because I'm like, you're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You yeah. don't you have the facts. You've lived with me, with me long enough to see I'm unlovable. Yeah. What kind of an idiot are you?
1: <laughs> you must have terrible taste. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when you hate someone who loves you so much. It's like, wow, I must really hate myself.
0: Yeah, yeah and I don't uh I don't hate my wife, um but and and I'm I'm not um I'm not I'm not mean to her though certainly the way I, I used to be. But I think sometimes if I took friends for granted mm. the way I take her for granted on bad days, um, I wouldn't have any
1: friends. Yeah, yeah. Talk,
0: talk about um, when you get mean with people that love you.
1: Oh, I can be so mean. I can be so Give mean. me some snapshots. Oh, like with my brother I'll hire him to do like shoot behind the scenes stuff. And if he misses a scene, I'll be like, how did you miss that? Are you stupid? Like your job is to keep the camera rolling between takes. And uh, with my last boyfriend, he was just trying to make conversation with me and I was really irritable. He's like, oh, I'm just trying to, you know, make conversation. I'm like, make more interesting conversation then. And just like bitchy bitchy fucking condescending things like that that i can hear like my dad saying to me all the time that i echoed other people
0: what does it feel like in your body when that uncontrollable urge to lash out comes up describe in your in your body because i get the feeling it feels like it does in my body
1: (sighs) it feels like a I don't know. It just feels like you want to hit somebody like you're like, you're so dumb or like, why don't you understand? Or I don't know, just a sense of like injustice almost that you have to correct or like impose your will on some. I don't know. I just get this uncontrollable rage.
0: For me, it starts somewhere like in my belly Mm -hmm. and it's like uh, like hot water. Like if you poured hot water in my belly and it just instantly went up to my face. And like my mouth is the last place. It is like where the steam comes out of. Like yeah. it's just, uh, it's like a fire that yeah. I have to let, that I have to let out because yeah. to contain that fire would almost consume me. Yeah. Does, does that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I'm angry, I cannot hold it in. I cannot. Um, and I can't let things go either. So I haven't found a good way to cope with that just You ruminate yet. about it. Yeah. I was like, ugh. So some, I've gotten okay to the point where if I'm really, really angry, I'm like, I'm going to leave before I say something that's going to hurt you. Um, but yeah. You
0: say that or think that?
1: I, sometimes I say it. Sometimes I, I, I say it with a slam door. Um,
0: when you um, lash out, do, is its it... Is it done uh do you yell or is it done coldly and evenly?
1: I yell. I'm a yeller. Yeah. I'm a yeller. I and go, I kick things.
0: I go the cold even route. Oh. Cause then it cause then you can be arrogant about it because you can you can be pretending that it doesn't really bother you and it's really all that person's problem. Because yeah. if I'm yelling, then I'm revealing that I'm scared, which is really what it's all about. Yeah. I'm scared that I'm gonna lose something or not get something that I want. Yeah. But if I can hold that tone, um I can fool you into thinking this isn't my issue, it's all yours. Ooh. So I'm better than you in 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 that way. We I'm are. I'm meaner than you. <laughs>
1: I haven't mastered that yet. I can't do it. A- I can't do it.
0: Well, take a page out of my book. It's delicious. <laughs> and it's it's the the shame I feel about because I don't do it. Um, I don't do it anymore. Um, or if I do, it's it's pretty rare. But it used to be I couldn't not do it when I would when I would feel scared. I didn't know that you could say to somebody, "I want to put my fist through a wall." I'm so angry right now. I I I I. I I can't describe w- what is bothering me right now. I'm so fucking angry and mm-hmm. I didn't realize that that was an option and that that could help let some of the some of the steam out or sometimes yeah. just go Aah!
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm the opposite. I always go Aah! and then like kick the fucking wall and make a dent in it or something and then feel shame afterwards.
0: It's like anger is so Oh, I hate it. It's so toxic. It's so yeah. Let's uh let's pause here for a second and uh give a little little love to our sponsors. I want to throw some love to PillPack. Um PillPack is an online pharmacy that delivers meds or vitamins right to your door. They deliver meds to 33 states and uh non-prescriptions to all 50. It's super easy to uh enroll. You just uh, give them some basic information, and they contact your current pharmacy, and they make sure that all your meds get switched over. You don't have to worry about anything. Uh, They make sure that there's no gap in service, Um, and it doesn't cost you a penny more than it would to go to your retail pharmacy, and you don't have to wait in line. I don't know about you guys, but so many times I've gone to a pharmacy, and it's 10 people deep, and you get to the front of the line. And they say, Oh, we can only fill half your, half your prescription. Can you come back in two hours? And, uh, and I pull out a cricket bat, uh, because I'm of British descent and I hit them with it. I'm actually of Irish descent. I pick out, I, I, I pull out a, a hurling club. I don't know if you, have you guys ever seen hurling? It's the most awesome, crazy Irish sport. Anyway, I got off track. Uh, Pillpack has great customer service and, um, check them out. Go to, uh, pillpack.com slash happy hour and uh, just check it out and they'll know that you are a supporter of the show and um, and that you support the sponsors that sponsor the show. Again, pillpack.com slash happy hour. I want to also welcome a, uh, a new sponsor to the show, uh, Brain HQ. It's, uh, it's a really cool online trading system. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I struggle with um, my memory, I struggle sometimes with not being able to focus my thoughts um, or i 'm feeling kind of foggy and brain hq uh, like i said it 's an online trading system they have twenty six different exercises that can help um, work on your attention, your memory, uh, your brain speed, and a lot of a lot of other stuff and uh, this is based in science uh, you know reachers, uh, researchers at uh, institutions from the Mayo Clinic to Yale. Have studied them and shown real uh, results, uh, real measurable uh, benefits to the brain. Um, for instance, ten years improvement in memory. I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. And uh, the exercises are fun, which. Um, you know, a therapist had suggested to me a while ago when I start to get obsessive or I feel like I'm getting into something that's compulsive, she said, you know, pull up something that's, that's mentally challenging to you and it's just a way of taking your attention and focusing it, um, someplace else. So check it out, BrainHQ, and you'll get a 10% discount, uh, on a BrainHQ subscription when you go to brainhq.com slash happy hour and, um, should you decide to to use BrainHQ? A monthly subscription is fourteen a month and a yearly subscription is ninety six. And again, ten percent off by going to brainhq.com slash happy hour.
1: What else what
0: else should we talk about?
1: What else can we talk about? I don't know, there's so many terrible things associated with being alive.
0: Talk more about
1: that. Um you know, sometimes I Do you I, think about suicide? Occasionally Occasionally I do Um, I don't I, I know I would never Be able to do it I would never be able To put my family Through that Um, Just knowing the aftermath of what they'd have to deal with and how fucked up my brother would be just for life.
0: But if you did, it would be well orchestrated, beautifully executed, and the production values would be sweet.
1: I would stage it to look like an accident for for their sakes.
0: It would be covered with perfect (laughs) camera angles.
1: Great lighting. Uh, There would be no (laughs)
0: problems with continuity.
1: No, no, but I would probably, I don't know, I'd have to go by pills because I'm too cowardly for anything else. Pills are a gun, just something sweet and fast. Um but I don't know like i i I think about suicide mostly as a form of revenge when I'm really mad really? at someone, yeah, when I'm mad at wow. someone I'm like i'm gonna kill myself so that you have to live with it Wow, yeah, yeah, it's terrible.
0: Talk more about that,
1: Uh well, like you know, just knowing how horrible and painful it was that christina killed my, killed herself like I'm like, wow, like if I was Sometimes when I get into really, really bad fights with my boyfriend, I'm just and I hate him. I'm just like i I'm gonna kill myself in the closet and you're gonna find me, and it's gonna ruin you for life. Um,
0: like this is the nuclear bomb. This yeah, is my nuclear bomb
1: that is and you know it's it's horrible, horrible to wish something like that on a person, but I like to indulge in the fantasy of how stricken he would be and what my funeral would look like and all that bullshit um. Yeah, and sometimes sometimes when I want to kill myself, it's just because life is too much. Like, it's like, oh, there's too much pain. Fuck all of this. I'm just going to drive my thing off a cliff and just say bye.
0: What's the darkest YouTube um, thing that you've put up so far?
1: The darkest? Ooh. Well, my short films are all story based, but I'd say the actual darkest one was uh, my Please Don't Kill Yourself video, where I talked really openly about uh, just about my sister committing suicide and what what you're left with afterwards, like um, all the guilt and all the shame. And, and then like the questions of like, will I ever fucking see you again? Like, I don't know. Um and it is really scary to think, like, oh, my God, I everyone that I know I'll never see again. And once I die, like, maybe that's it. Maybe there's nothing. Maybe all of this is for fucking nothing, which I think is the scariest thing ever is, is, to be here and have no fucking purpose at all. Um, I think it's why we relish in stories so much because of that sense of there is a final ending. There's a beginning, middle and end. There's a meaning to everything. Um, because it does seem so often that there's no fucking meaning now or that there's no God now. Um, so I have, I am openly atheist. And so I've talked about that and I've talked about, I've talked about like, all of that stuff. I've never talked about wanting to kill myself. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think the darkest what, I've gotten is suicide.
0: What was the reaction to the uh, Don't care, Kill Yourself video?
1: It was really positive. There's a lot of people who came out and like yeah i think about suicide all the time but this gives me a different perspective on it of what it would do to my family or there are people who like who are like well the reason i want to kill myself is because i don't have anyone or uh, i want to kill myself anyway because it's so painful it's not all about other people it's about how much pain i'm going through
0: that's what i always think yeah um yeah yeah um what haven't we touched on that um you feel like we should touch on Hmm. Anything?
1: I don't know. We've gone over death quite a bit. Um, there's always drugs, sex, um, the feeling of never being anything or amounting to anything or never figuring anything out, I'd say. Growing older. That's, that's weird.
0: You're in your 20s?
1: Yeah, I'm going to be 25 in August.
0: What are the fears associated with getting older?
1: Um well besides like the whole like oh there's no acting work for 30 year old women and all that stuff I think it's it's uh, I think it's a sense of of making the wrong decision cuz I struggle a lot with am I going to have kids should I have have kids uh, and and stuff like that and then um I guess I guess whether or not I'm going to die alone <laughs> It's always pretty scary, or even worse, get stuck in a marriage with someone who I shouldn't be married to. And just a lot of because there's a big, big decisions you have to make, and this tiny window as a woman of like, oh, my eggs are going to die when I'm like 35. So if I want to have my own kid, I got to make that decision soon. And, and just society's pressures of like getting married and settling are you, down.
0: Are you still in therapy?
1: I'm not right now. I had to drop it
0: any particular reason
1: uh when my the boyfriend i just broke up with i'm moving currently moving to burbank right now uh he is the one who paid rent and all that stuff and then was like go use your money for creative endeavors and do whatever you want and so 800 a month for therapy isn't in my budget at the moment
0: you know that you can google uh low-fee therapy and the name of your town or city and i found um a place called san fernando valley family counseling center and um it was at a time in my life when uh, I was about two years ago, and um, i'd been recommending it on the on the podcast and so when I had this meltdown, I thought, Well, let me take my own advice and I found in Awesome therapist. She was still in training. She was still working on getting her license. Um but she worked on a sliding scale and she worked with me based on because I wasn't making really much money at all. And um she worked with me and she said that they will go down to as little as uh twenty five dollars uh, wow. a visit for for people. Um wow. so Google Absolutely. Lofi therapy. Lo-Fi therapy. And uh, you can even just say Los Angeles or San Fernando Valley. Okay. And the other thing you can do and um, is you can dial 211 and you would find out what services are uh, available. Uh, another thing I tell a lot of people is if you've ever experienced uh, sexual abuse, uh, you can contact the Rape and Incest National Network, org, and um, you can often get uh, free counseling through them. There are a lot of um, survivor um, programs uh, out there that are paid for that people don't know about. And California is actually a really, really good state. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a pro- proposition uh, called Prop 63 that got passed a uh, um, a while back, that taxes millionaires and creates this fund for uh mental health services, so awesome. uh, i would I would check it out, yeah, unless you don't feel like going to therapy and then no. fuck, fuck me,
1: <laughs> no, I would love to after yeah. I get settled down and moved in, I'd love to get back into thirteen because it is very eye opening. You learned so much about why you act the way you do, and you're like, oh, I'm not a terrible fucking person I 'm just the sum of my past experiences.
0: And then the yeah. thought occurs to you that, oh, my therapist is just saying that because I pay them, <laughs>
1: which is one of the awesome
0: things about low-fee uh, uh, therapy is they're not getting paid. Yeah. They're working on their uh, license oftentimes. Yeah. I think you can also get licensed people. But uh, the thing that I really enjoyed about having a therapist who was um, fresh to it was uh, there was a real passion there. Yeah, um, I bet. Yeah. And there... Uh, yeah, there was... I. I've rarely been felt and seen and heard to the degree that I did um, with her. It that's felt awesome. yeah, it felt like a like a warm jacuzzi.
1: Oh, that's great! Yeah. it's good when they're not constantly looking at the clock.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned sex and drugs. Yeah. What What did you want to say about that?
1: Oh, I did a lot of drugs when I was a teen, especially after the day I did acid. I did ecstasy. What else did I do? mushrooms a lot of mushrooms a lot of pot yeah it was a crazy crazy time and i think most of the time i would do it at home alone which was probably a terrible decision um, but i would i would normally take mushrooms in my bathroom and just like scream at myself in the mirror wow yeah and be like who are you what is this oh my so, god
0: uh, that is we have a word on the podcast for that awful some <laughs>
1: Awesome and awful. Awful stuff. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. You have some awful some moments in your life. Yeah. Um, was there a feeling? Oh, did this start immediately after your sister's suicide? No, I'd
1: say a year or so after is when I really got into it. Because I don't know, you, you look for answers and sometimes you just can't find them, so you turn to drugs. And I never did anything like cocaine or heroin because I have an addictive personality. So I was like, no powders, no needles, because then you'll really get addicted to like a terrible, terrible state.
0: Do you sometimes worry that you're an addict and it's just kind of uh, shape-shifting of what it is that you're addicted oh, yeah. to?
1: Oh, yeah. I was an alcoholic for a brief time, I think like three years ago. So I stopped. I was like, nope. No more.
0: Well, I can tell you, if you were an alcoholic, you are still <laughs> yeah, an, alcoholic. an alcoholic. You may have drank alcoholically <laughs> and, and not, not be an alcoholic, but is it? I'm, I'm an alcoholic. So, yeah. um, but anyway, I, I hope I'm not being uh, Mr. Know-it-all um, no, not at through all. this thing. Because I, yeah, I'm yeah. just, I'm feeling a lot of um, self-criticism and. Um, Stop it i know it. It's, i have these days where I, I i just i question everything i do and i say and um it's fucking it's so tiring yeah it's so tiring because i have this urge to want to help and then i'm like oh you sound like a pompous know-it-all and it's just tiring it's just tiring. Yeah. But let's get back to uh, you. So you're doing a lot of uh, drugs. Was there uh, promiscuity mixed in there? Why, I had why did a long-term
1: you... boyfriend the entire time, three and a half years. I'm a serial, serial monogamist. so.
0: Why did you mention sex?
1: Uh, I just feel like it's a topic that not a lot of people talk about or see it with with mental illness and i i know a lot of people who are sex addicts um who are in incredible denial about it um and so i i always tell them like no that's a thing you should you should see someone for that and,
0: oh it's a real thing and it's as yeah. deadly as addiction to drugs oh yeah um people kill themselves over love addiction over the shame of sex addiction i'm mm-hmm. reading um Uh, and and the thing that they all share in common uh all addictions is um toxic shame Mm -hmm. that's in there and it creates this cycle of uh i'm ashamed about who i am so i'm going to numb myself oh god i numbed myself again i'm filled with shame yeah and it's this awful catch-22 that you can't get out of um there i'm reading an amazing book called uh healing the shame that binds by uh john bradshaw it's an awesome awesome book about toxic shame but um so talk about what what you were talking about before about so you're serial monogamist mm-hmm. um why it, so when you talk about the the subject of sex is it uh, other people's relation to sex is it your Uh, Issues with sex
1: Um, I don't know Like the first time I had sex I was 15 And even though It was was with like A boyfriend of a year Or so Who I loved Like There's just something About sex afterwards Where It sometimes Can just feel so empty You know what I mean Like, Like Sometimes I'll have sex And I'll just lay there And I'll be like What is my life Like what what? It just feels weird and somehow wrong And sometimes I'll have sex and I enjoy it And then I feel shameful like I did something bad Why? I don't know I, I don't know if it's leftover residue from something a long time ago But uh, sex has always been really strange to me um, I either feel incredibly empty or incredibly shameful afterwards
0: Were you ever shamed about your sexuality or your body?
1: I don't know I mean I don't know I, I can't re- really remember I mean I, I was kind of molested by, like, two other kids when I was a kid. Um, but it wasn't, like, rape or anything. They just, like, were touching me and, like, had me pee in a cup that they drank. And it was just really weird. What? Yeah, it was really weird. They're twins who were, like, eight and I was five.
0: Are you sure you're not thinking of The Shining?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not The Shining. Um, I don't know. I be- told my mom about it and she was just like, you're lying. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, my God. That, the... The one two punch, I see that so much, <laughs> and it breaks my heart when people go to a parent and say, Oh, this creepy thing happened to me. It hurt my soul. Or, you know, they're yeah. never that articulate, but, and then the parent just shames them yeah. on top of that. Um, you know, I think if, if you were a willing participant and you're like, oh, this is kind of crazy and this is kind of fun,
1: yeah.
0: th- that's not abusive. But I think when there's an, an age gap, and I don't say this to shame those eight-year-olds that, that, mm. that do stuff. I'm sure stuff was done to them. And the real perpetrator is the person that t- did it to them. Actually, yeah. the real perpetrator is probably somebody from <laughs> 5,000 <Yeah>. B.C. that <laughs> stuck their dick in somebody that didn't want it. But, um or you know put their pussy cycle. put their pussy in somebody's whatever that didn't want it um
1: we were friends. They were my neighbors, so we'd play together a lot. And then uh, I, one day they would take me to the basement, and they'd be like, oh, take off your clothes. Uh, we're going to play. And so I didn't really know what was going on. They just had me like lay down and would like mess with me down there. Um, but I was like, this is really weird. Like, I've never played a game like this. I don't really like it. But I've always had a problem articulating when I don't like things. And so I just kind of like go along like, hey, this is fine.
0: And were they male, female?
1: They were both male. Yeah. Yeah. But since they were so young and I was so young, I think she assumed I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but after that, I didn't play with them anymore because I was like, that's weird. And my, but yeah, there's been a lot of molestation of children in my family. Like my brother, like the school nurse who was a female, like touched him down there. And like uh, my sister was molested too. I forgot by who, but I remember we all talked about it at one point. It was like, God, like that's three for three. Like what is up with the world right now? Um Yeah, I feel like it sucks because that uh, I grew up feeling so like wanting to have sex, wanting to have sex. Like I wanted to know what it was like so much and watched porn all the time. And and me and my brother and my sister, like sometimes would take off our clothes and like hug because we're like, yeah, this is what people do. Um, Just like weird fucking things like that. I'm just like, where were my parents? <laughs> Why weren't they telling?
0: I think that's pretty normal though for kids that were sexualized as yeah. as, as children.
1: It was me. always just like an obsession with sex, you know, and and uh, like I like even though those guys were doing stuff, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. It, w- it was never something where I'm like, oh yeah, I want to watch someone be raped or I want to watch someone be taken advantage of, and and it was mostly, I think. Um, it's weird because I I do like to like like choking or like being tied up and stuff and I'm like why do I like that stuff because I've been so powerless my whole life I figured I'd be more dominant there or something like that
0: it, none you of that makes sense yeah it's that that's one of the things that's so fascinating to me about about the topic is um it seems to fall into this binary category where you either want something that recreated that or that is terrifying to you mm. and there seems to be. Not much middle ground, um, with it. There are, there are certainly exceptions where people that horrible things happen to them where they're like, I just, well, I guess that would be the opposite of it, where I just want vanilla, loving, you know, sex. Mm-hmm. I want somebody that, you know, I can be intimate with that mm-hmm. uh, loves me and I get the feeling that they care for me. But so often it's, I want to be punched. I want, yeah, this, this stuff that, um, uh, I, under- I understand it though. Did you feel like a bad person when you when you started watching porn? Was there shame and secrecy around no, it? No,
1: I was, I mean, I was hiding it from my parents quite a bit, so that part, but it was gleeful to me. I was like, ooh, I have secrets, I have secrets, because I'd always wanted to have secrets of some yeah. kind. Um, it's terrible. I think like the first time I ever masturbated, I used a banana and a condom. It was just like, Ugh. Um but yeah, I, the, what's always, always appealing Were you low to me. on potassium? Is that why? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I needed my vegetables and my fruits for the day. Uh, but uh, something, I, I'm like always have been incredibly paranoid about rape, just like the way my parents brought me up like we go to self-defense classes this is how you use pepper spray if you make three right turns you know someone's following you in a car um and stuff like that so i've always been even when he taught me how to drive he was like i want you to pretend that every single person is trying to be run over by you or is going to crash into you and so i grew up like always being fearful even in broad daylight when a guy waves to me and tries to tell me my headlights out i'm like oh my god like roll up the window halfway so he can't reach in and grab you but the things that get me off the most are rape fantasies um that so makes no sense to me, really.
0: That makes perfect sense to me. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, it really does. Uh, somebody wrote a book, and I forget the name of it, but they say we create hurdles in our brain, moral hurdles, mm. and those are the things that are most sexually arousing to us are the things that we feel like, I shouldn't be thinking of this. Uh. Those are the – I always say that shame is an orgasm turbo. <laughs> it, 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 uh, and once I realized that um, – uh, reading the their surveys on the website called shame and secrets and people share uh, often uh, trauma that happened to them and fantasies that they have and dark thoughts that they have that they struggle with and there's such a relationship between the two that it it, uh, it enabled a lot of healing for me and it's enabled a, a lot of healing for people that have r- r- uh, heard us read them uh, on the survey so um, that's you are so normal for um does that does that make you it does make me feel better yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah um let's anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up you got all my secrets um did i ask you to do uh fears or loves
1: i think we did we did some briefly uh, I talked about fear of like dying alone. No, no, and, no. Did I ask
0: you to make a, we do a fear off and a love oh, yes, off yes. sometimes at the, at the end. Uh, yeah. Do you want to improvise yeah. some or did sure. you write any let's, down? I, I, okay. I
1: did not write any down, but I did. That's
0: okay. I didn't yeah. either. Uh, let's go back and forth with the uh, fears. Okay. You start.
1: Uh, I'm afraid that I might accidentally kill a creature.
0: Uh, I am afraid uh, of global warming getting so bad that there is a drought and the vegetables that we grow in our front yard will be our only source of uh, food. And uh, I will have to physically shoot people to keep them, them oh away God. from our vegetables.
1: Such a specific fear. Aren't it you? is.
0: I had that last night. Oh. I like played it played it out in my head. Like, oh, wow. like, oh yeah, God, shoot I'm the gonna, people. Yeah, like to protect our watermelon, which is going to yeah. be so important because it's going to have it's going to be wet, and we'll be able to <laughs> get food and the liquid from it. And I will definitely have to shoot people because yeah. they're going to be coming more than one at a time.
1: Wow, uh, I'm afraid. I, I'm never going to be successful, and then I'm eventually going to try to sleep my way to the top.
0: Can't you see that you are already successful? You have a million never U- YouTube subscribers. No. It is until you decide I'm okay exactly as I am. Yep. Um, again, me being a pompous jackass, Not having at all. to compa- uh, comment on everything. Um, I am afraid of uh, breaking a bone again in hockey and having to. Walk that tightrope of possibly taking meds and losing my sobriety Ooh. because of abusing them uh, and just ballooning up uh, because of the not being able yeah. to exercise while I'm healing.
1: Yeah, I'm afraid one day my metabolism's going to slow down and I'm going to have to actually watch my diet and exercise and do all of that stuff to be a fit actor.
0: It is horrible when it happens because yeah. I used to be able to eat whatever I want. Oh, and, no. Yeah, it's not fun, but it doesn't happen for everybody. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid that I'm never going to create uh, another piece of furniture that makes me go. Oh wow! I made that.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm afraid uh, I'm never going to gain respect because of my appearance. How so? Uh, I'm. I'm. I look so young. I look so young, and and nobody takes me seriously, or at least it feels that That's way. It's so
0: funny because everybody else's fear is, I don't look young. <laughs> Embrace it. Enjoy. it. <laughs> well. Enjoy it while you got it. Um, I used to look really young for for my age. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, by my mid 30s, I was like, oh, fuck, I missed that. I missed that.
1: Um, Are you afraid you're going to run out of fears?
0: I'm afraid the termites have already eaten so much of our house that it's uh, beyond mm. repair. I don't even know if we have termites. I'm sure we have some, yeah. but uh, I'm so lazy uh, sometimes about Aww. having stuff done around the house. I'm I'm afraid that I've let it get to the point where our house is structurally damaged.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm afraid I'm going to get pregnant at some point and have to have a, another abortion.
0: Mm. You had one already. Mm-hmm. What was that like?
1: Uh, it wasn't. St- Terrible so much as the person I was with was terrible. Because uh, I hadn't, uh, I accidentally got pregnant on the pill. And so we went to the clinic and he was like, So, how are you going to pay me back for this? No. Like, do you want to do $10 a no. week? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And he cheated on me every three months consistently. And so it was like, ugh.
0: Oh my God, yeah. you have topped your previous awful I know. Although that's just plain awful. That is there's plain nothing awful. Awesome. There's nothing
1: great about that.
0: They're recounting <laughs> it. There's a there's a shred of awesomeness <laughs> in it that you, that you oh, can...
1: Re- I assured shred of awesomeness. I knew I was pregnant because my nipples felt weird. So seven days in, I knew it. So I went to the clinic. That was cool.
0: Oh, yeah. so it was that early in? It was
1: that early. Yeah, so I just had to take a pill and I was done. Oh. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, that's... yeah. If you have to have something done that's that 's the way to go that 's the way to go yeah i 'm afraid that I am always going to, to struggle with um, looking at pornography
1: um i 'm afraid that that I'm, that i 'm never going to stop lying i 'm afraid that i 'm always going to lie and feel terrible about it and never be able to be like oh wait no that that was a lie." <laughs>
0: I'm afraid that my need for reading glasses is going to get worse and worse and worse and then there's going to be an earthquake or something and I'll need to read something that has fine print and it's going to be I'm going to literally die because mm. I can't read small print on something.
1: I'm afraid that I'm such a horrible driver that I'm going to end up accidentally hitting a car that has a child in it and causing that child's death.
0: I was a little concerned when you texted me that your um that you were running late and you were in traffic and your texts were so quick and so...
1: I was in standstill traffic. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was like,
0: oh my God, if she dies, I'm going <laughs> <gonna> to feel terrible. <laughs> um, let's go to loves. Okay. Um, I love the first bite of a piece of pizza and it's perfect. Oh. And you can instantly feel some of your hunger yeah. being alleviated.
1: I love my four cats and how distinctive each one of their personalities is.
0: I love – I think I've shared this one before, but um, when my wife is working, um, she leaves me pictures she creates on our dry erase board of – the one dog luring the other dog to its death with, <laughs> with comedic s- scenarios and the little dog she's luring to its death is so sweet and gullible. Oh, it's just, yeah. That's it's, adorable. It's adorable. Um, she did she did one today. It was, um, they were dressed as Bonnie and Clyde and the uh, bigger dog was telling him to go in and rob the bank and uh, she would just wait there.
1: Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Um, I love forehead kisses.
0: That's a good one. We haven't had that one yet. Mm. I love when my uh, wife wears, uh, like a, after she's worked out and she wears like something in her hair to get her hair off of her neck. And it's one of the few times I love necks and it's one of the few (laughs) times that I get to see her neck and I just think necks are really sexy and I like it when she does that.
1: I love stubble. Just enough stubble Mm -hmm. on a man's chin.
0: I love reading a new book um, that I thought I was going to dread reading, but I felt like I needed to read because I needed to work on myself. And as I read it, I realize it's enjoyable to read and I'm going to get some type of healing from reading it.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I love going on long nature-ish type trips that require manual labor and you hate it when you're there but afterwards you feel so good about yourself.
0: I love watching a documentary where um, the subject of the documentary is a person that did horrible things but I'm able to see their humanity Mm. and I recognize a part of myself in that person's personality and I realize that all of us have some type of sickness or demon that we're battling and that it's okay and i also feel a little bit superior because i haven't done a horrible thing like that person did yeah. <laughs> like i've kept uh, my demon from you know scorching the earth yeah. like this person did
1: yeah um i love when You're holding your pee for a really, really long time, and you're like, I think I'm going to pee my pants, and it gets really bad, but then you finally get to a bathroom, and then you pee, and it's the most heavenly thing.
0: And you, I don't know if women get this, but you get a shiver up your spine, and you quiver a little bit. It
1: feels so good. Yeah.
0: Uh, I like when I when I pee in the morning and it's ridiculously long and my uh. wife starts laughing and I stop and then there's actually a little bit more left and I yeah. start again and it even goes for like 10 or 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do uh, two more each.
1: Okay. Um, I love it when I wake up before the sun and everyone's asleep because I feel like everyone is sleeping and I can focus on my work because there's literally no one to talk to.
0: I love when I'm able to kiss our little dog on his lips and he doesn't, he doesn't move. He just sits there and lets me, (laughs) it sounds so gross, but he just lets me like almost mini make out with his lips. It's, he has this plump bottom lip And his little his little bottom teeth show And it looks like baby corn Oh my And God. it's so fucking adorable That sometimes I just have to go over And I and I just have to kiss him on the lips But sometimes he'll move his head away So I love it when he's so tired That he just lets me kiss him on the lips And I'm so fucking embarrassed That I just share that But I think dog lovers are like Oh, oh I yeah. totally get yeah. that
1: Yeah, I kiss my cat on the lips, it's fine Okay um, I love that feeling you get when uh, when you make an audience laugh.
0: Oh, that's and, a great one. Yeah. Especially with something that you haven't tried yeah. yet and it gets a bigger laugh than you expect it to get.
1: Yeah, so good.
0: Um, I love it when you get to... I've probably said this one a thousand times, but I love it when you get to somebody that you've never met before, get to them to open up in a way that... Um, is connective? I guess that's the word I'm I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. When you're like, oh, I got a real peek into that person's inner life. Mm-hmm. I've said that one five hundred times, and I'm <laughs> beating myself up for it now. One more each. It's
1: the, it's the first one I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that feeling uh, you get sometimes when you just feel like I'm here. I'm happy with where I'm at. I don't want to be anywhere else.
0: That's that's like the, to me, that is like the secret to life. If you can yeah. boil what's awesome about life and the goal to get to, it's those moments in the day where I'm like, I'm okay who I am, yeah. what I'm doing, how much I have. Hell yeah. Um, my last one is I love that feeling when I send a piece of furry kind of dirty wood through a joiner or planer and you get to see the grain of it like the soul of that wood for the first time and you see the beauty that has been hidden there to the entire world except for you and you're the you're the first person to see what's been inside that tree for its for its entire life you get to see its full beauty you're the first person to see that
1: that's awesome yeah
0: Anna, thank you so much. Uh, people can find your YouTube channel by just going to YouTube and typing Anna Akana. Anna mm-hmm. Akana is A K A N A. And um, anything you, uh, else you you would like to plug?
1: Uh, no, no, just yeah. be awesome.
0: You've been so open and, and honest and forthcoming. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me, Paul.
0: Boy, what a what a great guest. Um, it's I don't know if I've ever met somebody in their mid-twenties who um, is so forthcoming um, about the parts of themselves that I think most people would, first of all, not even recognize in themselves, but be willing to talk about publicly. I know when I was uh, her age, uh, there's no, no way. I would have, I would have shared any of that stuff. So, um, thank you for setting a great example. And you know, when I when I edited this episode together, uh, I felt a little creepy afterwards um, sharing because she's so much younger than me sharing some of the stuff I shared. But I decided to leave it in there. I, I was like, you know, maybe that's my crazy brain just trying to find a reason to to pick myself apart. But anyway before i read some uh, some surveys I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel so inclined you can go to the website which is mentalpod.com you can also fo- follow me on twitter uh, at Mental Pod, and, uh, that's mentalpod and that's m e n t a l p o d and um, if you go to that website, uh, you can make a one-time PayPal donation or uh, become a monthly donor which means the world to me. Uh, you can do it for as little as five bucks a month and um, it really, really helps keep the, the show going. Um, you can also uh, use our Amazon search portal when you're going to shop there. Enter through our homepage and um, you'll see a little search box right-hand side of the homepage about halfway down. Enter through that and then Amazon will give us a couple of nickels if you buy something and it doesn't cost you any more. And um you can buy at our site. Um there's links to buy mental illness happy hour t-shirts, uh, coffee mugs, or a big heap of go fuck yourself. That's on sale. Uh we just we're slashing prices on go fuck yourself. And we've got a big, big bin of them. And uh yeah. <laughs> I felt like there was gonna be another joke in there somewhere, and uh turns out there wasn't. Hit the bottom of the bin. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey, and this was filled out by Lucy, and she had filled out a b bu- she's 17 and she'd filled out a bunch of surveys. And um I just picked a, a couple of the ones um that really moved me the most. Um and this first one is the struggle in a sentence. Um like I said, she's uh, she's seventeen. About her depression, she she writes like my brain is sabotaging me to keep me from feeling anything other than mediocrity. About her anxiety, you know, I say all the time that the 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 best um, survey takers at doing struggle and sentence are teenage girls. they they have a way of describing their inner life um, that is uh, just constantly amazes me. How um, I need to go do Brain HQ. I just lost whatever the word uh, so articulate um, about her anorexia. Like I'm disgracing the world with my presence and have to to work to make myself inhabit as little space as possible. You're not the first person who has shared that before. Um, I always like when I read something and and am reminded that we don't go through any of our stuff uh, alone. Uh, snapshot from her life, I distinctly remember all the times I arrived late to school because I was too anxious to go, and then after receiving a late slip, would rush into the bathroom and cry, too afraid and anxious to walk into theology class even a few minutes late because it would bring the lecture to a halt and the focus would be on me. I don't know what would have happened then, but I was sure it wasn't good. You know, I, I, ju- I just want to say, Lucy, that one of the most treatable um mental illness is, is anxiety. Um, so don't ever give up hope on finding something, uh, to, to help with your anxiety. This is from her shaman secret survey. And, um, I just want to read a couple excerpts from it in this one. Um, she was, uh, a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Um, and, uh, I don't, I don't want to, um, I just for some reason I don't I I don't want to read it, but it was it was bad and painful. Um and emotionally abused by your mom uh when i was at the height of my mental illness i dropped out of school my mom told me once that i was causing a rift in the family she said that i was the reason that her and my father were never happy and that i was the reason that my younger sisters would never receive a happy childhood as i did i'll never forget her telling me if your father and i ever get a divorce it'll be your fault i love my mother so much she's done so much for me and i can't ever imagine my life without her that being said i think Of what she said to me almost every day, especially in suicidal bouts. It was her way of confirming that her, my father's, and my sister's lives would be better if I were gone. Lucy, trust me on this. Every single person that is listening to what I just read, they're they're holding their hearts saying that is so not the truth. They're saying that your mother is mentally ill and she is a narcissist and she is abusing you and uh, there are people in the world that will love and nurture you and um and you deserve it so um it sounds like you may not get that from your family but um your our family is who we decide to make our family not necessarily who we're genetically linked to um but we're sending you um A lot of love. Oh, and uh, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I'd really just like to give every woman who's ever experienced any sort of abuse from a man a great big hug. It's fucking tiring being a girl, and I'm pretty sick of it. Can you tell I'm jaded against men? Sorry. You know, that's what you're feeling, Lucy, and that's okay. That's all right to to feel that, and you don't need to apologize. But I got to say, there's a lot of awesome men in the world, and um, um. As funny as we get as we heal um, from trauma and abuse and neglect and all that stuff, people that are healthy become easier to spot for us that I know to be true. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself noodle lover. Uh, she writes, I was in treatment for cancer at age seventeen and was not able to eat much because I had ulcers all throughout my mouth and on my uvula. Consequently, I lost ten pounds in a week, which my oncologist wanted to talk to me about to help decide how to soothe my mouth. After describing the situation, my mother looks at my oncologist and says, boy, I sure wish I could get on that diet and lose 10 pounds. All I could think then was, and now, yes, mom, we all wish we could be on the cancer diet. And really, this is all about you and your weight. (laughs) That is the definition of awfulsome. And for our new listeners, awfulsome is... Something that's a combination of awful and in hindsight awesome in retelling it this um oh, this is also uh, you know what I'll put this one. I'll read this other one first. This is from the being Hospitalized survey and um filled out by a woman who calls herself K Rock, and she is in her thirties. Uh, she was hospitalized because she tried to kill herself uh, by ODing on clonopin. She wrote, I w- writes, I woke up in a locked psych ward having no idea how I got there. I hid under the bed until my roommate talked me out. The hospital was chemical based so over the next 10 days they tried 5 different medications. At one point I was sitting on the floor by the phones predicting what my fellow patients were doing who would walk by who would get a butt dart and who would need meds uh, early. By day 7 I realized I was never going to get out of there so I started acting like I was getting better. Somehow I convinced the uh, psychiatric psychiatric doctor i was getting better and when my insurance reached its limit on day 10 they let me go did it help i think it kept me safe until i was able to see that i deserved being hospitalized for trying to murder myself i didn't address any underlying issues but 10 days was long enough to realize i didn't need to die thank you for sharing that k rock um this is an awful moment filled out by lizzie borden She writes, It was a day or two before Christmas, and as per usual, my family was keeping up with our tradition of constant fighting and yelling. This particular time, we were all unhappily crammed into our car on a doomed mission to finally buy a Christmas tree, my parents in front and my two sulky teenage sisters and I in the back. Because I am several years younger than either sibling, I always had the pleasure of riding in the middle, or bitch seat as we called it, which meant I was also in the middle of all the screaming that would inevitably occur, like the center of a letter X formed with passive-aggressive hatred instead of lines. The screaming started well before we even got to the car and before we could even pull away from the curb, my mom made some nasty retort to push my dad over the edge. He was already shaking with rage and had the look firmly planted on his face. Suddenly he snapped and reached across to my mom and slapped her hard across the face mere inches from me in a state of shock. The car fell silent, and he pulled away from the curb. In some fucked-up attempt to break the awkward silence, my dad sarcastically said in a fake Santa voice, Ho, ho, ho! In my very best, well-practiced adult voice, I replied, Do you think it's an appropriate way to talk about my mother? The tension broke, and for one moment we all laughed together at the absurdity of my mom being a ho. Awfulsome. That is awfulsome. Thank you for sharing that. This is the shame and secret survey filled out by um a woman who calls herself untoward. i believe we read her her shame and secret or her uh, struggle in a sentence survey she is um pan, uh, identifies herself as pansexual queer. Uh, in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, been emotionally abused, but she doesn't specify. Darkest thoughts, I think a lot about chopping off my hands or stabbing them with a kitchen knife. I also daydream a lot about sticking a spear or a harpoon or something through the center of my abdomen. In these images, there is rarely much bleeding. It's more like a Play-Doh, so I think of it as cartoon self-violence. Sometimes I imagine the torturous deaths of the two or three people who have terrorized my close relatives. When I was a kid, I used to think about a rotary blade coming into the school bus window and shearing off the top of my bullies' heads, a lot of stuff like that. I know that vengeful aggression never solves anything, but these thoughts are still my go-to coping mechanism when I feel like someone I love has been hurt. Sexually, I think a lot about women, which I am only ashamed of because I don't think my male partner knows the extent to which I fantasize. I want to spend my life with him, but at the same time, I'm a little afraid of never getting to explore the other sides of my sexuality. By the way, that's one of the most common things that uh, that um, people report, especially women in the uh, Shame and Secrets survey. Uh, Darkest Secrets. I watch a lot of pornography on my own, and uh, I wish I could say it was totally feminist friendly porn, but it's really not. The worst thing I look at is that Japanese train groping stuff for some reason. that's when I was. Uh, then when I was on the subway the other day, when it was quite crowded, I was terrified that me watching and being aroused by those things would somehow make it happen to me in real life, and I would deserve it. I don't want that to happen at all. I have also visited sex chat rooms a couple of times while in my relationship, and I know that would upset him, but I wanted to feel desired in that idiotic, brutish way of strange men on the Internet which intellectually I hate. I think it all points to me wanting to be dominated sexually, but I feel like I only want that because it's been programmed into me that as a woman, that's what I deserve. I don't know. I have a lot of dreams that my brother is persistently trying to kiss and molest me while I scream and fight him off, and I find them extremely disturbing. As far as I know, he never abused me or anything as a kid, so why the hell does this happen? It makes me wake up disgusted at both of us. Also I hit my dog a few times when I was a kid because she didn't want to play like a normal dog. Eventually we gave her back to her breeders because it wasn't working out. I think I feel the worst about that. Um you know, I'm going to I'm going to go with the old chestnut that I always say which is um people's sexual fantasies are rarely things that they are uh, comfortable with in reality. So um you know, join the club and and accept yourself and your, and your fantasies. Um, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to say to the girl who was my best friend for a while in high school that, hey, I worked something out. The reason I'm still so upset at you is that I was in love with you. That's why I was so jealous and petty and then heartbroken when you stopped wanting to hang out with me. You acted like I was the coolest person in the world, something I really needed at the time, and then one day it was like I didn't exist. And I think I would still go back to you if you showed me the slightest bit of interest. It makes me angry because my teenage obsession with you is probably never going to be resolved and I'm always going to think about you even though you're probably not as hot shit as either you or I think you are. Thank you for sharing that. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down anxious Uh, mostly that some piece of spyware will have recorded me writing all of this and use it to blackmail or humiliate me i don't know why anyone would do that though i also feel embarrassed that i ramble so much about what are really very small problems compared to what so many of your listeners go through sending you a hug and thank you for that honesty This is uh, very uh, female-heavy surveys uh, today. Um, Step it up, guys. Let's go. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself August. She writes, My bipolar depression came back about six months ago, during which I've been taking and adjusting my meds with no noticeable effects, causing me to struggle to keep hope for any sort of recovery as I seem to fall deeper into the darkness every day. Recently, I was sitting alone in my usual lunch spot at work. I don't even remember what I was thinking about when I noticed I had butterflies in my stomach followed by a sudden fit of laughter. Not the forced laugh I have to use around others, but genuine belly-clutching, eye-watering, uninhibited laughter. I didn't even recognize the sound of my laugh. It had been so long. Feelings of joy washed over me, and I had butterflies in my stomach. And despite the fact some may say this could qualify as a potentially manic symptom, I was just overwhelmed to finally feel a genuine positive emotion and grateful to my brain for cutting me a break. Hope (coughs) restored. Thank you for that, August. I remember the first time um, I felt meds work for me. I was on the road in a condominium, and I was watching some documentary about wrestling, and somebody said something mildly amusing on it, and I laughed out loud, and I was like, oh, my God. I felt like somebody was sitting next to me, you know? I know that feeling, and it's amazing. It's like, oh, this is what normal pe- people experience, joy. Um, this is from the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey filled out by a guy who calls himself J, A.K. the letter J. He is bisexual in his 30s. Um, what would you like people to say about your, your funeral? He tried. He made us laugh. I wish I had known how he really felt. I would have made an effort to be a part of his life. How does writing that make you feel? Shitty. Like in death, I need approval, and I'm too much of an asshole to reach out to anyone and say how I really feel, because I'm afraid of either their judgment or the complete lack of understanding in how to respond to mental illness. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? I'd use it selfishly to see concerts I missed, to witness great leaps in human evolution. Uh, I'd be too afraid to watch my childhood. I don't think that's selfish, the things that you want to do. That's, That's what I'd do. Um... I'm supposed to feel happy about having a wife and kid, but I don't. I feel like an even bigger failure than I was on my own because I can't give them everything they want. I'm supposed to feel excited about books and records I've spent money on um, but don't have, uh, but I don't. I feel ashamed, stupid that I bought more crap that I don't need, that I probably won't have time to read or listen to, and I like, like even more of a disappointment because this pattern of behavior repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats. You know, as I read this, I just think, man, you're trying to soothe yourself. You're just trying to soothe yourself. You got a really powerful negative voice in your head. I mean, l- listen to this. How, how does it writing that uh, make you feel? Pathetic. Seeing them spelled out for me makes me think even less of myself, which I didn't know could exist. God, you are so hard on yourself. You are so hard on yourself, Jay. I just want to give you a hug, buddy you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do yes everyone is different everyone has problems but these are mine uh even similar situations aren't the exact same so the unique quality qualifiers of my varied feelings couldn't be matched elsewhere um it's the feelings that matter jay not the not the circumstances of them and that's how we get lost is we think because our you know our circumstances are unique we think that Our internal life is unique, and it's not. Anybody who's listened to a dozen episodes of this show knows that our internal lives are not unique, and you're not alone. This is from Poppy. It's a shame and secrets. She is bisexual. Um, She writes, bisexual. I don't know, man. I'm 19. Um, Raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, um was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, Been physically and emotionally abused. Darkest thoughts that I want to go home. Sit in the empty tub and slit my wrists wide open. It would make such a beautiful art piece. Darkest secrets. I'm attracted and feel safer around my cousin who raped me than with anyone else. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Having sex with my cousin who raped me. Horrible and gross. Like I need to shower and run far away from here well uh, if you are if you are listening this far into the episode, Poppy, you know from the stuff that that I've shared and my guests have shared on previous episodes um it's it's not about us it's just trauma has a way of leaving a weird, weird tattoo on us um this is a happy moment filled out by Lucille, and she is uh 17 not to be confused with Lucy and her happy moment is i had a shaky i've had a shaky relationship with my mother since i was a little girl i've always felt much safer and welcomed around my father and her humorless personality bothers me to no end but something magical to me is that the most vivid memory of my childhood is my mom staying up all night to take care of me when i had the stomach flu I was definitely in second grade or lower. I remember feeling really loved and important because I knew my mom loves to sleep and so she must have made, must have been sacrificing a lot to stay up to take care of me all night. I remember the lighting being soft and peachy and crickets were chirping out of the window. It was very serene. I like to remind myself of this memory whenever I'm not grateful to have her. Boy, that's such a picture. the uh, The yellowish light and the crickets chirping. Whenever I go back to the Midwest and it's a summer night, and I smell the moisture in the air and you know the wet grass and the sound of crickets, it my emotions can become so intense. They say that our um, sense of smell is the most triggering to uh, emotions, and now uh, I feel like a pompous ass for saying that. This is from Lucy. Lucy. Um, And this is a happy moment that she had. Some of my fondest memories come to me when I was at the height of my mental illness. I had dropped out of school and was attempting to keep up with coursework at home. This led to absolutely zero human interaction besides my family, which led to me wallowing in depression all day, every day. The only thing that allowed me to shake myself out of this depressive stupor was to walk to the elementary school park that was just a few blocks from my house. I'd go on weeknights at six or seven o'clock when no children were actually playing. I would swing on the swing set for hours and hours, just listening to music or my own thoughts. Sometimes I'd get off the swings and run and dance around in the giant field surrounding the park. I felt so free. Ironically, this was the same park where my ex-boyfriend and I had, just a year or so previously, um, would uh, drink and smoke illegally. Um... Uh, he was such a bad influence on me I feel utterly trapped for the. Dura- I felt utter- utterly trapped for the duration of that relationship so it was oddly liberating to return to that same park a year later and be able to jump and dance around for hours it was a time when I could forget about everything going on at home and with my lack of schooling I wasn't even scared walking back home in the pitch dark because I felt so alive like I could conquer the world thank you for sharing that and then this last one is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman I like her already. She calls herself Nice Clavicle. And she writes, I'm not sure how old I was when I heard this story for the first time, but it's a family favorite. Once upon a uh, a New Year's Eve in 1981, a country and Western musician strummed his guitar and sang a rocking ditty in Memphis, Tennessee while his wife and children rang in the New Year's seven hours away. This particular A country singer was known for being a good cowboy rock star and following protocol, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He loved women, well, not his wife so much, uh, whiskey and blow. And although he hadn't touched her in five years or so, on this evening he felt a pang of nostalgia for his little wife. Or perhaps he was high. Either way, as legend has it, he put down his guitar mid-song and drove at light speed all the way back to her. She was shocked when the front door burst open, and her husband rushed inside with hungry eyes. What are you doing here? What's going on? You're supposed to be in Memphis, she asked frantically. He took her by the arm and led her upstairs to their bedroom. Wait, what are you doing? No, we don't do this. I'm not on birth control anymore, she protested. And as he flung her to the bed and kicked off his boots, his only words for her were, get ready for a good old-fashioned cowboy fucking. After a nap, he pulled out his boots, got in his van, and headed back to Memphis, and that is how I was conceived. If there's a Hall of Fame for awfulsome, that is being inducted immediately. Thank you for that, and um, thank you guys for being a part of this community. Thank you to uh, Anna for um, her, her honesty, and all you guys that fill out the surveys and do what you do to support the show and uh, i hope if you're listening you know uh, that you're not alone and that um, and that there's hope if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone and ask for help i know that i would be dead if i hadn't and i'm so grateful i'm still around so thanks for listening
1: everybody i know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird ways